0: been recently visiting with us. We pray and hope that you find everything you need here at Harvest to fully worship the Lord and with joy. Uh, To my other brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to thank you for making this a home for my family. Uh, It's always nice to be here every Sunday. Um, So right now we're just going to go ahead and do some announcements. Uh, Everything we're about to say here you can find on harvestirvine.org. So we're just going to speed through this because um, you're not here to hear me, you want to hear Pastor Gary. So we're going to speed through this as quick as we can. Um, Harvest is now accepting electronic donations through Zelle. For those who may not know what Zelle is, uh, it's an app on your phone that you can register and you can send money to people or organizations. So it's very convenient for those times when on a Sunday you're kind of like, oh, forgot to bring my you have know, donation and offerings? No, fear not. You could uh, <laughs> do it through your cell phone either before or after the service, hopefully not during service. A and a computer too. Again, before or after, but not during service. <laughs> um, and uh, the email that's listed here on the program, it's, you don't email it to it, you set it up. Uh, as a recipient, okay, and um, see uh, Brian and Kelly Wong for more information on that. Um, and um, please remember that we have to vacate uh, the auditorium at 12 o'clock. And as they say, you don't have to go home. You just can't stay here. Okay? <laughs> and women, uh, as many of you uh, know, because you experienced it yesterday, my uh, beautiful and smart wife, uh, along with uh, equally beautiful and smart, <laughs> Leslie and Kelly, I don't want to be biased, hosted a wonderful uh, women's study kickoff brunch yesterday. Uh, and uh, I was jealous because I was there setting up, but I didn't get to taste any of the stuff. <laughs> it was lots of food. All the women brought great stuff. Um, we'll be, uh, they'll be going through a study on Galatians through a study by C- Tim Keller, um, and it begins this Monday night, so uh, at the Leslie and Clint's home. Thank you so much for opening your uh, home to that, um, but if you uh, have not, please RSVP through the eVite. Uh, and I'm seriously jealous of this next one. Uh, the Park students, they get to uh, gorge themselves on a Korean barbecue <laughs> this Saturday. Um, and uh, you know, the cost is there. Please see Joe, uh, Pastor Joe, for more information. And I just want to say, can I be parked for a day just, just, on, just on that day? You know. um, and we a Special treat. we support multiple missionaries, Scott Jennings being one of them. Uh, he's going to be speaking at uh, Chinese Baptist Church of Central OC uh, here in Irvine um, on July 12th, speaking on um, spiritual warfare in the mission field. Uh, There's a slight correction to the location or in terms of the room. uh, It's in the fellowship hall instead. And please RSVP to Juliet Sakami um, by July 11th. You get an extra day. And next uh, is uh, Brian to talk about SPINs. Thank you, Jim. My name is Brian, and we are part of a ministry called SPINs. They mean sharing pain in new seasons, and we're a support group that helps each other walk through any kind of grief, pain, or loss, or even depression. And our topic for the next spins will be how our view of God affects our way of dealing with grief and also with change. So we invite you to come. We'll be having a lunch, so please RSVP if you'd like to come. And note, it'll be at the Hwas and Solomon's new address, uh, 30 Yorktown, Irvine. If you'd like to come, please RSVP through email for Hua or, or you can text her too. So, hope you guys can make any questions, you can ask me too. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Uh, lastly, is uh, Young Adults Ministry. We're, meet, we're meeting this Sunday, July 14th at Shawn and Marissa's. Okay, so uh, let's take this time to transition uh, into the message uh, by uh, Pastor Gary, will be talking about reconciliation. And I have to say that after six years of marriage, Uh, And for those who've been married longer, you know, uh, there's always two ways of reconciliation. For our marriage, there's Jim's way, and there's the right way. (laughs) And hopefully, Pastor Gary will speak to us on the right way, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, what a joy it is to be in the midst of uh, your uh, uh, family, Lord, to worship you here in your house. Uh, We thank you uh, that we... Are given this opportunity, and we pray that as we hear from Pastor Gary, uh, may we just uh, take it with uh, gravitas, Lord. It's a weighty uh, honor and privilege to be ministers of reconciliation uh, so that we can increase this family, Lord, and uh, advance your kingdom all the more. Uh, pray that uh, we um, take everything that we hear to heart. So we pray that you open our minds Lord uh, to all the things that Pastor Gary has to say. In Christ's name we pray.
1: Well, Reconciliation will be part of what I say today, but I'll say a few other things as well. We're actually uh, in the midst of uh, doing our new mission statement at uh, Harvest, and our mission statement is to glorify God by loving Christ and those whom Christ loves. And this is the true North, we might call it, of our fellowship here. It fits in with the old Presbyterian creed that said uh, it well, really. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I appreciate uh, what uh, John Piper uh, did in his terrific book, Desiring God, about 30 years ago. He tweaked it a little bit, and he says, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever, finding our chief delight in Him. And when we glorify God, we simply treat Him as if He matters more than anything else in the world. And if we will dedicate ourselves to this very end, then God will be happy and we will in fact be happy. Now, last week we focused primarily but not exclusively on glorifying God by loving Christ. Today we're going to focus primarily but not exclusively on glorifying God by loving one another. Now about 25 years ago, I guess I'm not sure exactly at this stage of life I don't keep track of a lot of things like this, but Suzanne and I went to Hume Lake at a pastor's wife conference. And we were looking forward to meeting some old friends that we hadn't seen in well over a decade at that particular time, and they they were going to meet us at Hume Lake, and we were going to spend a little bit of time with them as well. We happened to get there a little bit early, and uh, Suzanne said, I'm going to have a little bit of fun with this. And so she... um, Went and brought some very outdated clothing, uh, and uh, that was, you no know, three or four sizes, way too big. And uh, she uh, went and put on that and stuffed in a lot of towels and then uh, grayed her hair and then caked on the makeup. <laughs> and uh, there she was. And then, uh, so we waited in the lounge, a little lounge where I could see the parking lot when our friends would show up. And, uh, you know, I was near the window, so I could see Suzanne in her little oversized uh, position, pulled up a couple of chairs and sat down. And uh, anyway, I saw them come in, and uh, we walked out the door, and we walked toward them, and we engaged reunion hugs and so forth. They were extremely polite, but... uh, they they were a little amazed of how the passing of time had had its way with Suzanne. <laughs> you know, and as we parted uh, and went to our respective rooms, Suzanne grabbed me. And she says, Gary, you're walking at a distance. You act like you love me. <laughs> now, if she were telling this story, and of course I'll never give her that opportunity, but... <laughs> If she were telling this story, uh, she would say that I was unaffectionate and I behaved like a jerk, <laughs> and and that really wasn't true. Uh, <laughs> my thoughts are simply this: Honey, your anchor's a dragon, your cargo's a shifting, but you're still my dreamboat. <laughs> so that's <laughs> you know when I think about that particular incident. Uh, And uh, particularly Suzanne's complaint about my detachment, if you please, a principle came to my mind. And that is the way we treat one another has a huge bearing on the cohesiveness, not just of our nuclear family, but also our church family, our church fellowship. Just the way we treat one another. You know, uh, when we feel loved, we're always going to find ways to contribute. If we don't feel loved, if we feel we're on the outside, then it's difficult to kind of dig in and contribute. So our task is simple, as a church, as a fellowship, and that is to get everybody in that circle of love so they experience it, so that they can give it, and that will create a strong, strong unity within our fellowship. Now, you've got a detailed outline today, and the reason it's so detailed, because if I didn't give a detailed outline, I would s- certainly lose your ball in the weeds in the course of this sermon. So, just understand, we have two primary responsibilities, and first one is that we're to communicate, this is about our mission statement, but we're to communicate by our life and by our words the credibility of Christianity. Now, Christianity is credible because it's true. It's intellectually coherent. It answers the major questions of life. So we want to share something about the credibility of Christianity. But second, we also want to communicate by our life and by our words the plausibility of the Christian life. And when we say that Christianity is plausible, What we're saying is that it simply works. It's relevant. It speaks to life. It's the plausibility of the Christian faith just can only be seen, however, within the community. If we're just a bunch of individuals, it can't be witnessed by other people. The plausible Christian faith is dealt with by how we treat one another within the community itself. So our unity in community is really the unanswerable apologetic. And it's the most enticing aspect of the Christian faith because it magnifies as a group the beauty of the Lord that we claim to worship and that we do in fact worship. You know, I became a Christian as an 11th grade high school student. And I had, family had made a move. I lived across the street from a uh, a family that had a girl that my age uh, that I discovered later on that Suzanne was good friends with when she had previously come out to San Diego but nevertheless this girl invited me to go to her church and I was an, a, not a church goer at all at that particular time when a little bit as a kid but just wrote the whole thing off for you know, 10 years or something like that, never even bothered. But I got there, I got introduced to the young people's group, the high school group, and immediately I would just simply pulled in to uh, to what they were doing. Uh, I witnessed truth, I witnessed love, I witnessed accountability, I witnessed compassion, and it really just created me, in me, a thirst for the God that they loved. And, uh, and I was just swept in, and I bought into the whole thing, and I've never looked back since that time. But the key, the key that really brought me in was their inclusiveness. They invited me into the circle of fellowship. Social status, physical appearance, didn't matter a single bit. They just scraped in everybody, and everybody felt a part of it. And when you feel a part of a group, you function well, you function normally, you give as well as receive, and it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. The old saying, birds of a feather flock together, Uh, and it's true in this world. The rich hang with those who are rich. The connected hang with those who are connected. Uh, but there's an inherent problem that comes with that. People that associate only with those that are like them, uh, they do so because they can hang out without personal cost, without investment. You don't have to do any of that stuff. But in the church it's different. Uh, we tear down the psychological gated community complex if you believe if you can... Imagine that. The beauty of love inside the church is something that everybody gets in on. It's non-discriminating. Marriage, of course, is selective. We understand that. Lovers who unite say, oh, man, we were made for each other. Fair enough. Good thing. But love in the body of Christ, love in the church community unites those who aren't made for each other. And that's the beauty of the assembly. It unites us all as different as we are. It's just simple connection with those who are simply given you. We don't audition one another. We simply love one another. And the size of your bank accounts or your academic degrees or your levels of social sophistication don't matter one single bit. The gospel creates this gigantic, paradigm shift, and the jury is always going to be out on harvest, and every other church in our area, every other church in the world for that matter, and we get a new fresh start every time we meet together on the Lord's day. Now in spite of our foibles, and we certainly have them, uh, and the effort we expend to conquer them, our cohesion as an assembly has to be a core value. It's hard to achieve, but it's a whole lot harder if we don't achieve it. So let me review. First, Christianity is credible, and it's credible because it's true. Second, Christianity is plausible, and it's plausible because it works. It answers the questions of life. It satisfies us deep down at the very core of our being. I want to move on to a couple of major points. The first one is this, the basis of our love for one another is grounded in our intrinsic value that has been given to us by God when we were made in the image of God. Now C.S. Lewis wrote a tremendous essay, uh, it's called The Weight of Glory, in fact there's a book that comes, that's entitled, one of C.S. Lewis's book is The Weight of Glory, but The Weight of Glory is an essay that constitutes the first 25 pages of that book. But in the essay, he expounds the infinite worth that God has endowed to every human being. If you read it, you're going to be edified by it. But Lewis says this, that human life is so precious that every adult, every youth, every child, that enters your world, is worthy of being honored and valued. So don't let uh, their insecurities, of one, don't let the insecurities of any of us here, uh, or shyness, or weirdness, or even rudeness, short-circuit our caring spirit. Don't let economics, or academics, or ethnicity, our physical appearance, waylay our pursuit of the weight of their glory. All human beings are created in the image of God and endowed with infinite worth. There are no ordinary pedestrian people that we meet on the street. Everybody is of infinite worth. And you didn't talk To a mere mortal, when you greeted people today as you walked into this room, and those sitting near you are the holiest object to your senses that you'll see today. Now, there's no question that we are all damaged goods. We are. Uh, But it doesn't change the inherent value that God has instilled in us. Some of you have been over to Europe and you see those old castles that exist in so many different places. Uh, especially along the, the river routes. You'll see these things in the distance, and they're they're old in many cases, they're considered a bit of a ruin in, in some cases, and yet when you look at them, there's a grandeur, there's a, a nobility. About them, that's absolutely incredible. Even though they're no longer functional, you're just struck by how beautiful and noble they are. Now, when you look at me okay, just and I'll use myself as an example when you look at me, you're seeing like a castle that's in ruin. Uh, you know, how is this 25-year-old guy fitting into this 70-year-old frame- type thing? you? Know? <laughs> It's, uh, you know, but God's restoring me. He's restoring you. He's restoring all of us here. He's making us better people. And what we do as a fellowship, we just recognize it in our greetings with one another, in our interactions with one another, in our compliments toward one another, in the way in which we defend one another. And that's what glorifying God by loving the people whom Christ loves is all about. Imagine every child, your child. Imagine every youth, your youth. Imagine every individual, every adult, and that would be you. If if we all left here every Sunday, knowing that we've been we've been given the kind of encouragement that we need to keep going because we know we're infinitely valuable, we know that we're infinitely valuable to God. And sometimes this world is just so, tears on us so much, we just need the encouragement and feed off the encouragement of one another so we function the way God wants us to function in the course of a week. Uh, You know, just imagine if we all left here just feeling esteemed, it would empower us and it would recycle itself in the way in which we treat our neighbors and our own community. Now, let's move on to the specifics of our love for one another. How does our love for one another express itself? Well, let me give you a couple of ways. The first way love expresses itself is through our affection for one another. Now, love contains volition and emotion. Take a cup of volition, take a cup of emotion, put them together in a mixing bowl and stir it vigorously, and you end up with affection. Uh, John 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life, her life, for his or her friends. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Paul says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I deliver my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now, it's possible. You know, we all do a lot of benevolent acts without a lot of feeling in it. We just oftentimes do it. And you can imagine, you know, we've got a group of people that are headed down to Honduras, not too far from now, Most of us aren't going to go, but we just wrote out a check for the people that are going down there to take with them. And they're the ones that are going to be there functioning among the people, sharing the love that the entire church feels for them but can't experientially uh, be there, so to speak, and, and in the midst. And that's why you come back and you bring all that went on down there and how the people were treated and the wonderful time that you had and the the Christians that came into being and all of the things that you do down there. That's the beauty of what the assembly is able to do. Uh, Peter adds a thought. He says this, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another, from the heart fervently love one another. Uh, why does Peter uh, tell readers to fervently love one another when they already have a sincere love? Hes because you have a sincere love, fervently love one another. Well, the key to understanding that is that there are two different words for love that are applied here. One word is the word phileo. It's the Greek word phileo. And phileo love is emotional love. It's relational love. The other word for love that uh, is mentioned here is the word agape. And agape love is sacrificial love. It's volitional love. It's determination love. Now, when you mix the warmth and the passion of phileo love... With the strength and the determination of agape love, then you become very godlike. We're determined to love each other, but we do it with warmth. We do it with affection. It's not just, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna grit and do it. We do it with love and affection. Action that's buttressed by passion is always going to be life changing. Now, the second way, Uh, Love expresses itself is through reconciliation. And this is a regular thing. Uh, We're always hurting one another. We're always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. We sometimes blow up and are irritable, and we hurt somebody else's feelings. At other times, we just do something that's absolutely wrong. And... And so we need to be reconciled. We need to be reconciled for one another. We can't just confess things to God and not take care of business with one another. God says, listen, I'll forgive you. You're reconciled to me. You're my son. You're my daughter in Christ. But you also need to be reconciled to one another when you hurt one another. So, uh, Reconciliation is really encased in the doctrine of forgiveness. Now, Luke 17 says, If your brother sins, and he will, by the way, reprove him. If he repents, forgive him. So, reproof is simply to point out very strategically the particular fault that you see in that individual without harshness. And with a hope that it will be acknowledged by that person and corrected. So forgiveness, what it does is it stops the spread of sin and it moves warring souls together from a place of conflict to a place of friendship. Now, When the two verbs, reproof and forgive, are linked together, what they do is they reflect mature spirituality. If someone hurts you, you go to them, and you explain where they hurt you. You don't globalize everything and say, you do nothing but steamroll me. You just say, hey, in this area, what you said was really hard. It hurt me. I I felt that you were looking down on me, whatever it happens to be. It's a very specific thing. You know, and, and so you share that with them with the hope that in turn that they will in fact you know, forgive you for that. So, Or that there will be forgiveness that takes place. And see, what happens when you reprove, it just allows you, it paves the way for you to grant forgiveness on the outside. Reproof itself, to just go up and just blast somebody uh, is never to be alone. It's like a, it's like a hand grenade, uh, just a relational hand grenade. It doesn't soften a heart. What it does is it breaks a heart. And we've all had our heart broken just by the harshness at times that other people have shown us. And we've probably been on that other side as well and done it to others. So there's always this place of, of uh, affection and reconciliation takes place. But on the other hand, not to reprove someone who's done something wrong is to actually, uh, it's a selfish attempt to find personal peace without concern for the sin in your brother's or sister's life. Now, Jesus insists on putting the two of them together because it creates the best scenario of resolving conflict curbing sin, and achieving reconciliation. So, two ways our affection spreads itself are two ways that our love expresses itself. It's for affection and reconciliation. Both are important. Now, three steps in the process, in the forgiving process. And let me just share those with you. This is a little more brief. The first step in the forgiving process is simply to assess the size of the debt. How much has the person who hurt you robbed you of joy, robbed you of reputation, robbed you of self-esteem? You've got to assess that debt. And then after you assess it, and all of those things are legitimate considerations, you don't want to blow it off, but after you accepted those things, then you you look at it and say, that's the statement. Now, there's a second step involved in forgiveness. After you assess the size of the debt, and that is you assume the debt yourself. Absorb the pain without retaliation, without extracting, if you please, repayment. No tit for tat. He got me, therefore I'm going to get him. He hurt my feelings, therefore I'm going to blow him off. It's not the way the church operates. The exact, you know, when you extract payment, uh, you can end up treating them with indifference. You can slice their reputation if you please to other people. You root for them to fail. By the way, rooting for some One to fail is just like fourth grade adult playground behavior, and you want to stay away from that kind of thing. Now, the biblical support, I should say, let me give you the third step in forgiveness. you, You need to assess the debt, assume the debt, but then you need to drain the toxin from your own soul. How do you get rid of the bitterness? You know, how can you cleanse yourself of the anger that is continually gnawing at you? And here's what you do. You do it by investing in the person that ripped you off. Uh, In other words, it's not just ignoring them. It's not just, okay, good riddance. You're no longer my friend. You're no longer even my acquaintance. You're going to end up With all kinds of poison in your soul, the only way to drain that stuff is to go back and get it right with them, make it right with them, and otherwise it's unfair. See, uh, the biblical support for this really comes out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. There's a verse there that's not complete, but it uh, reminds us. It's in verse 42. But the the entire thing that Jesus is talking about there in that is that uh, if a Roman soldier asks you to carry his pack for a mile, carry it for two. Now, in those particular days uh, when Rome was ruling in Israel, uh, there was a law out that if a Roman soldier asked you to carry their pack, and it was a heavy pack, you had to do it for one mile. And the Jews chafed under this. The Romans were in their their country, and here they were ruling, and I'm carrying this guy's backpack, and I hate it, and I hate him. But they did it, and they put the backpack on him, and they counted out the literal steps of one mile, and then they dumped it on the ground and said, here, carry it the rest of the way yourself. And Jesus comes back, and he uses that as an illustration. He says, listen, if someone tells you to carry their backpack for a mile, carry it for two, one for Rome and one for your own self, one just to extract the poison and the bitterness you feel from your own system. You know, one of the uh, major issues, you know, Let me put it this way. Granting forgiveness is painful, but refusing to grant forgiveness is even more painful. And you have to make a choice. You can choose the forgiveness that will heal, or you can choose the bitterness that will enslave you. And God is glorified when we choose and opt for the healing part. Now let me close by sharing a couple of virtues that we're going to need if we're going to love each other in the way that glorifies God. Uh, And if we learn to practice these two virtues, our happiness quotient, by the way, will go way up. First of all, we need the humility of a servant. Uh, In the New Testament era, slaves became slaves oftentimes because they had piled up too much debt. And there was no such thing as bankruptcy, so if you owed a debt to someone and you couldn't pay it, you simply enslaved yourself to that person until the debt was worked off. Now let me make the transfer here a little bit. How big of a debt do you and I owe to God the Father? And the answer, of course, is that we're irretrievably in debt. There's no way we could ever pay off all of the offense that we've caused our gracious God and Heavenly Father. And when you ponder the fact that, you know, the King of the universe who loves us with an infinite love uh, actually uh, acted and became a servant so that he might forgive the debt that we owe him. I mean, how can we as humble servants not forgive one another? If Jesus was going to forgive us of death, that eternal death, uh, just simply by his death on the cross, then we have to be able to say, no one is beyond the forgiveness of my own heart. Uh, It's just following uh, the greater example of God in our own life. You know, when we ponder the fact that the king acted like a servant, how can we as humble servants act like a Lord over type king over those who offend us? And so we need the humility of a servant. And second, we need the security of a son or of a daughter. You know, one of the major ministries of the Holy Spirit is to remind us that we've been brought into God's family, that we're the recipients of God's eternal love, and that nothing will ever separate us from that love. And our security as sons and daughters becomes our enablement to conquer the insecurities of our own life. And our insecurities hinder us and hinder our ability to forgive particularly when we've been hurt in areas where we're insecure. You know, if you're insecure in your intellectual ability and somebody makes you look foolish, then uh, you're especially hurtful. If you're insecure about your romantic desirability and somebody rejects you, uh, it's especially hurtful. But you and I can take the occasional sucker punch, we can take it without being devastated if we can find an unfailing refuge in the God who loves us so much. You are a child of the King. I'm a child of the King. And when we find our completeness in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be equipped to be able to deal with the relational pain and forgive those who caused it. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Why is that? Well, it's simply because that's the way that we glorify God by loving Christ and those whom he loves. It glorifies and honors the Lord. Will you bow with me? And i want to give you just a minute or so just to look into your own heart and think about this uh, relational aspect that we have with one another. Uh, Maybe you've been hurt by another individual and you're chafing a little bit over that. And you realize, you know, if I'm going to live for the glory of the Lord, I'm going to have to deal with this. Uh, Maybe... uh, There's an individual that's uh, shafted you in a way and you continue to hold them with a stiff arm there. Maybe someone's uh, said some critical stuff that uh, is still wedged in the gray matter and it still rises up and bothers you and you have to deal with it. Uh, Maybe you've been hurt by another person and they've never apologized. Maybe they're in this room right now. How do you deal with that? Uh, You don't want to chafe. You don't want to lose sleep. Uh, You don't want to damage your own physical system by being bitter all the time. Uh, We just need to remember uh, our gracious, our gracious Lord and Savior, and what He did for us to bring about our acceptance and reconciliation to God. And if we're going to be an assembly that glorifies God by loving Christ and by those whom Christ loves, then it needs to start with those who are closest to us and then needs to spread out amongst us all. And so I pray for our children, I pray for our youth, Uh, angling toward young adulthood, going on to college, Father, I pray, Father, that somehow you would so overwhelm us with your presence in us and acknowledge the infinite value that we have. I pray, Father, that that would stabilize us in such a way that we never need to retaliate when we're hurt. We never need to nurse our injuries because, Father, you move in, and you are the great God of comfort. And may your comfort of us be the guide in our comfort and encouragement of one another. And, Father, I would pray that Harvest Fellowship would function as a unit We're young and old and young with old, and all of us in the medium category, Father, whatever it happens to be, uh, that uh, there's going to be encouragement and strengthening for the road ahead that we hope to be faithful on until you come again. Father, we thank you for that promise. It just uh, puts everything in perspective for us, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.